Hi, and welcome back to another episode on the After School Podcast with Dylan Mack. Today we are interviewing Chef Honey Kim, who was the first Michelin-starred chef in Korean cuisine, trained at Daniel and Masa before opening Donji and Hajan, his two restaurants. And today we talk about how and he got into cooking, what he actually does on a day-to-day basis, how he found his passion, and everything in between. If you'd like to support my podcast, please follow us on any social medias. And if you'd like to support us even more, consider donating to our Patreon page. Thank you and enjoy. Hello. Huni, I am. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And honestly, just to start us off, like, just you know, tell us, tell the audience, you know, who you are, what your occupation is, you know, what you do, all that jazz. <laughs> thank you so much, Dylan, for having you on, uh, having me on your podcast. Um, my name is Huni Kim. I am a chef and uh, a restaurant owner. I actually own a couple of restaurants in New York City, as of this moment, but I am working on another restaurant uh, in in Long Island City, actually. Really? So that will make it three. And then I'm actually opening up a, a retail store as well, um, a banchan store. I don't know if uh, your audience is familiar with Korean food at all. Yeah. But, so explain what it is um, to the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Banchan is really what makes Korean food so unique and special in that Every meal consists of like so many little, I would say, side dishes because it is not the main entree. But uh, these, it could be vegetables, it could be uh, uh, seafood or even meat sometimes. But uh, they all have different flavor profiles. And uh, in any given meal, um, I think anywhere from three to to I've seen as much as twenty uh, little side dishes that complement your own bowl of rice and other entree dishes that um, the host or the, 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 the restaurant owner may serve. So I think most people are very familiar with uh, uh, when it comes to Korean food, Korean barbecue restaurants. And oh, yeah, when you go to most a popular Korean, in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you go to a Korean barbecue restaurant, you do get a lot of these free side dishes that come before your meal. And that is what a banchan is. And um, I plan to be selling banchan at a store soon. <laughs> Great, that sounds awesome. So, you know, where were you? Where were you? Like, just the, give us the gist of how everything came to. Like, so where were you born? You know, you know, and then like. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I was born in Korea, but but I left Korea when I was four years old. Um, I went to England. Uh, with my parents, that's England. when they wanted to. Yeah, I grew and I lived there until I was ten. Um, and from when I was ten, I've been living in New York City. So it's been I've lived in New York City for almost forty years now. Wow! Um, so New York City is like holds a, probably holds a special place in your heart, huh? It's the only place that I consider home. Um, I did spend five, six years uh, in uh, California, uh, the Bay Area, 
where I went to college and grad school. But, um, you know, just to get away from New York for a little bit when I when I could, which was in college. Um, but I realized my my physical sort of uh, my body, my brain. It's it's just wired to be a New Yorker, you know. Uh, yes, I walk I'll say faster than everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, you're in New York too. Yeah, been in New York uh, oh. whole life, New York City. Okay, wow. I okay. Absolutely, I don't know. I mean, my family they think it's very you know. I mean, a lot of adults complain, you know, very loud, very expensive, yada yada yada. But as like an innocent kid, it is very fun to live here. There's so much to do, you and also so much to eat. Which yes, is the best part. yes. Uh, and I will tell you one thing, um, and this is cliche, but it it will give you the confidence because if you can make it in New York, socially, you know, educational wise, whatever. Uh, if you can make it in New York, you do have this confidence that you can make it anywhere because nowhere in this world is it faster or more competitive uh, and sometimes exactly. nastier. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just uh, it's a yeah. big advantage, I think, coming from New York. Anyway, so as a kid, so as you said, you're a chef slash restaurant owner, but you start, I assume you started off as a chef. Just your love for cooking in general? <laughs> no, um, actually, no, I actually oh. didn't start cooking until I was almost thirty years old. Yeah, um, so actually, I this was... brings us to our signature question quickly before you spoil anything. Okay. So sure. uh, I asked all my guests. Imagine you're a sophomore in high school. Okay. Mm. It's after like school just finished. You got out of school. Like, what are you doing? You know, what is kid you doing? What did you like doing at the time? You know. What were you thinking about? Um, when I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Um, well, it doesn't have to be precise sophomore, you know, it's just in high school in general. I like saying sophomore because I'm In high school in general. Yeah, you know what? I was, I went to a very competitive, no, I wouldn't say a competitive, but a, a driven high school where um, we, most of the students were very focused on getting into a good college. Um, so, it was just cultural for, for, for us to be always doing uh, something after school that would help us eventually down the line applying to college. And me, I was on the debate team and my high school Bronx science was a, or still is a very famous debate team. Um, so five days, Monday through Friday after school, I was studying at the mid Manhattan library on fifth Avenue because back then we didn't have internet. Oh yeah, um, we had Yeah, we had to go to the library to do research with zero, you know, Xerox copies and 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 microfiche films um, instead of like looking things up on the internet on your computer. So yeah, I was I was quite driven um, to get into a decent college, uh, and for me, being on the debate team and being successful. Uh, and whatever I did academically was was quite important. So, like you, uh, as you said, you gave us a little preview. You started cooking when you were thirty, but mm. before that, what were you doing? Like, what was your like? What did you major in, like college? You know, what were you? What did you have a plan of before switching to being a chef and everything? Yeah. So in college, um, I realized. <clears throat> well, I went to Bronx Science, so math and science. Um, it didn't come easy, but. I, I did well. Uh, I was comfortable uh, with math and science more than the liberal arts. 
So um, even the college, I went to UC Berkeley, which is a very science-focused school. Um, and, you know, as, as, as an Asian kid growing up, if you're good at science, um, the choices were very few. <laughs> you were either going to be a doctor or, or an engineer, I think, uh, or any kind of scientist. Uh, so for me, I, I always liked helping people. Uh, and, and I always thought uh, being a doctor, uh, I would have a very fulfilling life, being able to cure people, you know, helping sick people uh, get well. Um, I had friends, parents who were doctors, and they were, you know, financially well off. They, they seemed to uh, have a very good life in that they were happy uh, who, of who they were and what they were doing. So in college, I thought that was my answer to get into medical school, to become a doctor, and to become happy. Yeah, okay, so then, <laughs> you like you said, yeah, so that's, I guess that's a, no, help, I mean, I think helping people kind of applies to, you know, cook, or just like making people happy is kind of like, you know, what cooking yeah, does. Yeah, so, so the next question is, then what the hell happened, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, and this late, it's considered a late stage in your life to like switch your, I don't know, well, passion, I guess, quotation mark passion, you know, I don't know. Oh, no, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, it was late. Um, and because it was late, I think I had a lot of my friends and, and even my mother who was very set against it. Uh, oh, but for I me, assume it was she was not very interested in supporting. <laughs> yeah. Korean mother uh, giving up medicine or not even that. Losing a doctor's son. To, I know. That's the, that's, the, that's the horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but for me, it was this. Uh, I realized that, I, you know, um, when I was working at hospitals uh, in when I was an undergrad to get into medical school, um, I, I sort of experienced uh, what working in the hospital was all about. Um, I worked with doctors who um, were very honest with me in in telling me a lot of the times you're not going to be able to help. Uh, uh, and it would be, you know, it would be so amazing if we could help everybody, but the people who you can't help will um, affect you more. And, you know, I, even after I got into medical school, I had a tough time um, at hospitals. Um, and, and, you know, when, when you want to become a doctor and the whole idea of stepping inside a hospital sort of gives you this, this very um, sort of negative feeling uh, and, and to the point where I was physically sick. Uh, oh, so it just was and not I was getting migraine. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and because of that, I took a, a hiatus. I took some time off. Um, and while I was taking that time off, I was able to find something that I um, was more passionate about uh, and something that I was good at. And, and ultimately, it came down to this. I realized even if I became a doctor, even if I graduated a medical school, I was not going to become a very good doctor. Um, How did you know this? You just Because, yes, because, you know, it's sort of like this. When you don't like school, you're trying to leave school as fast as possible, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how it, I felt about hospitals. 
You just you want know, to get I, out of there, be done. Get out. Yeah, and on my way home to my dorm, basically I was already dreading the fact that I had to go back tomorrow. Um, and now, when I started, yeah, when I first started working at a, a restaurant as an intern, it was completely the opposite. You know, I was rejuvenated at the end of a so very yeah, so tired, long day. This restaurant internship was just like, like, was there any little like sparks of, you know, cooking aspirations throughout your life before you made the switch or was it really just like, you know, yeah. Just like you mentioned before, um, living in New York city, I had New York city has so many restaurants and not just so many restaurants, but like every ethnic sort of cuisine is available. And it's also Uh, good. Yeah. It's a good replication. Yeah. So I grew up really enjoying food, uh, from all different cultures. Uh, going to restaurants, you know, basically, if you live in Manhattan, uh, chances are within a five block radius, you're going to have Japanese, Italian, French. Oh, yeah, I Chinese. do live in Manhattan, right down the block. <laughs> there's like this like ramen place. So good. Right. <laughs> so, so I loved eating growing up. And one of the reasons why I went to Berkeley was because the Bay Area had a had a huge sort of culinary uh, um, uh, culture. So, you know, even when I was in college, I was seeking out restaurants uh, famous chefs, uh, going to Napa <laughs> to, to eat. Um, so when I was taking a break from medical school, food just happened to be something that I enjoyed eating all the time. And I wanted to learn how to cook it. Um, cause I didn't want to be a bum while I was taking time off. I, uh-huh. I wanted to do something or at least, you know, pick up a skill. So before that, I didn't know. How oh, to cook so it was all. not, it was not like a, this is my next career. It was more just like, no, it's just like fill no. the time. Yeah, oh. yeah. Let me let me learn wow. how to cook some of That's... the food that I I love eating. Um, and so, is is your favorite cuisine Korean food, or is it just like um, you know, the the word favorite means it, it's so more than that. Um, I think I was born to cook Korean food. <laughs> like, I, I, like, cause favorite. It seems sort of like I have a choice, but okay, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, as it was a just like your calling. It was like your calling. Yeah, yeah. As a professional chef, I would not have been a very good one if I wasn't cooking Korean food, uh, because the motivation behind me cooking Korean food, I I could not get from any other cuisine. And is this motivation, like, what is it? Like, you're, because you, you are Korean, you want to spread Korean culture, combination. Yeah, I mean, definitely, initially it was. It was sort of like, because I cooked that, I learned how to cook French food. So uh, when I was cooking at Danielle, um, all the cooks came from France. I think it was three quarters of the chefs uh, were, uh, lived in France and would spend one, two, or sometimes four years at Danielle cooking, um, I could see the, the, the pride, you know, they were representing their country, their culture. Uh, they, it felt like uh, they were Olympic athletes, you know, representing their country, their flag. Um, and I could never get that sort of emotion while I was cooking at Danielle. I also learned uh, I was working at Masa, a Japanese restaurant. Um, 
ultimately, when it was time for me to open my restaurant, yes, I wanted to cook with that pride that the Japanese chefs were cooking Japanese food, the French chefs were cooking French food. I wanted to cook Korean food with with, with pride. Um, but ultimately, what is more uh, of a motivation now, especially, is the more I've been learning and studying traditional Korean food, the more I realize um, not many people are doing it here. Um, so, really? Is that still yeah. the case? Probably yes, is. because traditional Korean food, the way I learned it, it's not just about flavors. Um, you know, every restaurant owner wants to cook delicious food so customers return, right? Uh, of that's, that's how you that's, make business normally, yeah. Exactly. Uh, Korean food has grown or come this far, not because of chefs running restaurants, uh, because Korea has had so many little wars, uh, sometimes big wars. The restaurant culture in Korea is very recent, uh, less than 50 years, really, um, uh, with the volume of restaurants, whereas many other cultures, Japan, uh, France, all the European and the U.S., we have, they've had a, you know, hundreds of years of restaurants growing their cuisine. But with Korean food, it was never restaurants. It was the mothers, the grandmothers, the, the, the wives, the matriarchs cooking for their family every single day. And that's the recipes were passed on, you know, in our homes. And that's how yeah. the, the cuisine has grown. And the, the biggest difference between the restaurant cuisine and, and, you know, home cuisine, especially with Korean food, is mothers don't cook food just because it's delicious. Uh, mothers cook food for their children, uh, for their family, so it's nutritious, so they can be healthy, especially in Korea when uh, pickings were slim. You know, economically, we were very poor for a long time. Yeah, Mothers were very, it. yeah, it was their role to make sure all the nutrition uh, she was able to provide uh, through her cooking. So the way I learned Korean food was, Delicious food in Korea is a given, you know, with our recipes, with our ingredients. But we also need to make sure that we cook with ingredients that make our diners healthy. Uh, and so you never want to use like meats or like vegetables that are. Well, that's you know, the thing. Poor, it's, uh, yeah, healthy food is not about diets. It's not about being vegetarian. It's not about being meat. It's about whatever vegetable, whatever meat you're eating. Make sure that it's not tainted with chemicals, that it's Hormones, not like antibiotics, yeah. Exactly. Organic. It it doesn't have, you know, preservatives. Um, so cooking natural food uh with with natural ingredients uh for me is the basic one oh one to healthy eating and, and, and hence Korean food. And uh, unfortunately not many people do that with ethnic Asian food in this country. Some do, um, but to me, it was a, a calling to make <laughs> sure that uh, Korean food isn't just known for the, its delicious flavors, um, that it's known through fermentation, uh, which is what I focus on, that it is food for health. So I assume you focus 
on very like classic dishes, like traditional dishes, in your restaurants, like Korean Korean cuisine, right? Um, or are you more now? I do <laughs> now. I am uh, because I am more knowledgeable. My first restaurant, Danji, which opened eleven years ago, is still not very traditional. Uh, it's not even you know I I I call it a Korean tapas bar. It's um. Oh, so small appetizers, yeah. Yeah, it's a Korean American uh, because I really haven't changed the recipes too much since the restaurant opened. Um, it was uh, sort of a representation of who I was as a Korean chef eleven years ago. Uh, well, not now, still, twelve years ago. Yeah, but um, so I was. I love Korean food. I was uh, interested in Korean food, but I really didn't know yet. Um, but since then, I've learned so much more. That um, what is what excites me is the traditional than than the interpretive, which I already I've already done with Nanji. Um, so you're right. Uh, I right now I am a lot more focused on the traditional flavors than interpretive flavors. But so how do you feel about like non-traditional Korean food? Like I don't know a good example. Like. Is Korean corn dogs, is that traditional? Like, I assume not. <laughs> like, um, with all the weird, like, stuff on it, the cheese, you know, the like, the potatoes mixed in, with the, like, so, hot Cheetos. Yeah, I mean, you know, anything with cheese when it comes to Korean food, it, it, it's not authentic or traditional. Okay, <laughs> you know, it is. We right. didn't have cheese uh, until recently, or cheese was very, very expensive. But cheese is, like, um, very big now, I heard, in Korea. Yes, yes. Um, so or bigger than know, I guess it was. Definitely, um, globalization has made a lot of these ingredients a lot more accessible in in Korea. Um, so, especially cheese. When cheese is so good at sort of uh, muting the spicy sharpness of of Korean food, uh, that I think a lot of Koreans um, enjoy eating. Uh, cheesy anything with anything spicy um so yes cheese has caught on what do i feel about that you know what whatever is delicious uh whatever you can enhance by adding you know cheese caviar truffles there's no problem there's no issue um i think a lot of the times when we eat deliciousness is the most important thing um but um it shouldn't be the only important thing meaning those cheesy corn dogs you shouldn't be eating that every day because <laughs> you'll end up living living a shorter life yes yeah so so when you opened your restaurant in general did you have or just like it's kind of like what is your i'm kind of curious right now of what your like how would you describe your overall cooking philosophy I don't know. Uh, that is a ooh, hard a, question but i'm because um, i do like cooking myself and i'm curious like mm-hmm. obviously not to like you know the extent of owning a restaurant or whatever but mm. i'm just very curious you know um you know that philosophy changes uh it definitely has changed for me i i, I take that back i don't know <clears> if <throat> that philosophy changes for everybody uh, especially chefs who open restaurants, um, because I, I actually know of certain chefs 
their philosophy has been the same from, you know, 20 years ago when I was eating at their restaurants. Um, but mine definitely has changed uh, in that, I, like I said before, delicious food was the most important thing because that's how I learned how to cook. Um, and we used fresh ingredients, natural ingredients, because it was more delicious. Um, but since then, uh, when I started learning about Korean food, uh, deliciousness came after uh, healthy ingredients. Meaning, yes, whenever you cook with natural ingredients, chances are the food's going to be more delicious than you know cooking with vegetables that come from a thousand miles away or cooking with commodity meat. You know, um, the reasoning behind is a little bit different. Um, so, I think any or some professions, profession, some professionals, as they become more knowledgeable about their craft, their industry, the philosophies can change. Um, just like you as a person, you grow up, you become a mature, and your you, values you change. change. Yeah, morals. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like that's, that's how I have gone through my life as a chef. So, so then when you're opening, because your first restaurant you said was Danji, right? Uh-huh. When you're opening, did, did you, because you did win a, a Michelin star, right, in that restaurant? <laughs> yeah, long did time you, ago, yeah. Did mm. you, so when you're first opening it, was it just like, I want to spread this Korean culture, I want to, you know, or do you have this idea, like, I want this to be, like, a successful, you know? Like, so did the Michelin then, star, yeah, come on purpose, or was it like, Wait, what? Like, no, 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 not at all. Then there weren't many Korean restaurants outside of Koreatown. Um, you couldn't find a Korean restaurant in Hell's Kitchen or, you know, the East Village. Uh, like right now, there must be like 10 Korean restaurants in, in the East Village. Uh, and everywhere, you know, the Flatiron, all across Manhattan, there are Korean restaurants now. Upper West Side, Upper East Side. Um, and that's a good thing. But Yes, it's a very good thing. But back then, it was only in Koreatown. And in Koreatown, all the Korean restaurants back then and now, the menu is pretty much the same. You know, barbecue restaurant. You know, you can, like, take one menu from one restaurant, take it to the next barbecue restaurant, and you can probably <laughs> order off of it, and they'll have it. It's probably like a one-to-one -one um, ratio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I wanted to sort of do something a little bit different. I wanted to cook uh, Korean food. Um that was a little bit more personal. And for me, personal meant that I brought in, I brought to the table what I learned as a chef uh, using great ingredients at Danielle, at Masa, um, and making sure that people knew that Korean food can be delicious, not using these, you know, chemicals like MSG um, enhancers that makes... Um, a lot of Koreatown restaurants not have to use good ingredients or fresh ingredients because the natural ingredients tend to be two, three times more expensive. Uh, and when a business is worried about its profits more than anything else, uh, I and think a lot of restaurants... tends to go down. Yeah, yeah, uh, because you can use MSG uh, to replace the flavors that natural ingredients will give you. Um, and unfortunately, back then, this was like 12 years ago, 
all Korean restaurants sort of were they were choosing that route because there weren't any Korean chefs. You know, Korean chefs, at least chefs, any ethnic chef or any chef cooks with pride uh, when they own their own restaurant. Uh, but when it's not a chef running the restaurant and it's somebody just who owns the restaurant, I think it's it's much easier to use cheaper ingredients so they can profit more. And that's all um, they really care about as a, well, not, a lot you know, but m- most, most, most. Yeah. It's easy to, it's, it's easy to, uh, especially when the difference is, you know, you can stay open and make a living for your family if you can use cheap ingredients. And if you use the, the, the nice ingredients, you're not able to. Uh, when it's that decision, it's pretty easy to, to make uh, as a business owner to provide for your family first. So, so understandable. At the time, yeah. yeah. At the time, mm. I'm assuming, like you said, this was not really done before. Like it was very uncommon having this type of restaurant that you're having. Yeah, I mean, that focused like, on ingredients. Yeah. yeah. Were you ever, mm. like, was there ever, like, you know, I don't know, like, for one, was Korean food back then, like, talked about, like, or were people, like, a little, like, you know, like, they've never tried it before, they don't know what, what it is? Because now it's kind of um, like, like, most people have tried at least once Korean food that I know. At least yeah, definitely. My class. Um, but back then, and then I'm also wondering, yeah, like, so it must have been a, a big risk to take, I guess, to do this, right? Spend this, all the, like, you know, only, buy only the best stuff, you know, lower profits probably, I'm assuming. But, you, know. you know, the first five years of Danji, um, most, I'm, I'm talking 90% of customers, it was their first time trying Korean food. Um, so as much as it was about sort of cooking delicious food, it was also about educating people of what Korean food was, introducing them to, uh, flavors that were, at least the flavors were authentically Korean, even when the actual delivery, the plating, uh, the method of eating was not, you know, Korean. Uh, so yes, there, there was, uh. There had to be risk, and anything worth doing, you know, there's usually a risk. There's always um, risk, yeah. Yeah, but I was confident that I could cook delicious food. Uh, I learned from the best. I learned from Danielle Bouloud. I learned from Masataka. I mean, these amazing chefs. I knew. Yeah, I was, I was also uh, going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Is it chefs you admire the most, but I'm assuming they're these people. Yes, uh, for two different reasons. Um, they both taught me how to cook delicious food, but Danielle uh, taught me work ethic. Um, I still have not visited a restaurant that made you work harder than Danielle. Uh, and wow. we did it six, seven days a week. I, I once worked 23 straight days. Uh, but you did it because it was expected of you and everybody else did it. And it was that culture um, after working at Danielle uh, it gave me that confidence, like we talked about New York, that I there was no restaurant that was too tough for me. <laughs> um, so it was a very valuable... Very, very valuable, that I still appreciate so much. Um, yeah, that's what Danielle taught me, and Masa uh, taught me that food can be an art. Before that, I always thought food was more of a craft you know, like somebody who builds furniture, you learn, you, you learn the set of skills, 
uh, you know, you do the measurements, put the legs a certain way. Same thing with food. You make sure you, there are recipes that you understand and you understand combination yeah, like the recipe of flavors. Copy and paste, um, or not yeah, copy uh, and paste, but... but like a definite set of skills that you learn. Um, I never thought it was art until I worked at Masa where um, food was a lot more emotional. Uh, and after working at Masa, I wanted to cook food that made my guests that so I So when you mean emotional, with. do you mean like you prepared certain things for moods and, you know? Um, I think this, for what I do, nostalgia is the best uh, emotion that I could, the easiest emotion I can touch uh, because um, a lot of Korean Americans who live in the U.S., uh, they have been eating Korean food in the restaurants for a long time, but the ones that grew up in Korea, there are these distinct Korean flavors that come from the fermented ingredients that come from uh, the vegetables or, or even meat that, that come, that are grown in Korean soil that they can't enjoy here uh, and they haven't experienced in a long time. Uh, and that's what's basically one of the things that I do. Uh, I bring my fermented ingredients, I make my own fermented ingredients uh, in Korea and I bring it over uh, to give a, a little bit of nostalgic or make them remember what they have been missing out on uh, eating in Korea. So, yeah. you know, that's an emotion that I want to touch. And before I never thought that thought of cooking with those emotions or trying to reach those emotions. Uh, but Masa helped me realize that. No, I, I recently learned that like emotion is a big thing. Cause I was, I was talking, cause of this podcast, I was talking to other people that are involved in like the culinary world. And like, I talked to this like spice blender guy and he was telling me, you know, the spice should make you feel a certain way when you smell it, <laughs> you know, mm, the mood. Mm. It, and it was very, I don't know. I didn't realize that this was so universal. Cause I, I, I guess I always thought of it, you know, as like, you know, tasty, you know, delicious, mm, you know, mm. build me up, but. No, know. he's perfectly, he's perfect. He's, he's right in that when I get really stressed, uh, I, I search out for spicy food cause it, it sort of relaxes me. No. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, how do you deal with, honestly, like, I just feel like not many, I, a lot of my friends aren't that great with spices, unless they're, you know, I don't know, they're in. You know, spice is something that you grow into, and it's something that you should grow into, just I like alcohol. Spice, personally, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> uh, you know, you don't want to eat anything too spicy too young. Because life is long and there are many spices from many different countries that are all different uh, that I feel like it's, you're always happy when there are spices that you haven't experienced before. If I ever get to a point in my life where I've tasted every spice on this earth, I would be a little bit depressed. I know there are always new, <laughs> yeah, always there will be new spices that I will experience uh, in the future down the line. No, I think I, that just, you know, that keeps everything interesting, to be honest with you. Mm. And yeah, speaking of like all this stuff, like <laughs> you told me you had like, you know, a son. Do you like cook food for them at home? Like, or is it like 
You just take restaurant uh, yeah. food home, like like the like the both. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Most of the Korean food uh, I bring from my restaurants because um, I would be using the same ingredients at home anyway. So um, I don't cook too much Korean at home, but. Um, you know, my family doesn't just want to eat Korean all the time. So I do cook. I do cook a lot of Italian, uh, Italian. Indian, Chinese. Yeah, like How today. How do you decide what I to make, cook? I make yes. lasagna today for my son. That's his favorite. So um, mm, lasagna. Yeah, you know, it it keeps me interested in cooking as well because cooking Korean food, I'm a lot more critical because I can't just wing it. <laughs> yeah, because you I be am like, a Korean. Yeah, it has to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, whereas other cuisines, um, I don't have that pressure. If it's, you know, if it's halfway decent, I'm, I'm content. No, so speaking, yeah, speaking of pressure, did getting like a Michelin star add any pressure? Like, you know, like, or did it affect um, you? When I first received it i did feel like maybe there was a kind of a standard that uh i needed to sort of achieve year in year out but um no i forgot about that really fast it's it it really isn't about stars or reviews or the critics or the bloggers yeah it's just it, about you know, like the people there and like exactly because those customers that come in to your restaurant you know, they come in every single day. That's your real life. That's what, you know, um, that's what's important. That's the day to day, yeah. Yes. Uh, and if that's not enough, then you have an issue. <laughs> if, if you're you be cooking, cooking just because of a star or, or these New York Times reviews, then you're not going to be happy. Um, but if the customers that come into your restaurant, you, you appreciate because you know, there are 10,000 restaurants in the city, but they chose yours to spend their money on, their hard-earned money on. That in itself, you should be moved. That should be a warning. Yeah, yeah. For us, for a restaurant owner, for our staff. And it is our job to reciprocate that appreciation, that love, the emotion, uh, to make sure that they leave the restaurant feeling the same appreciation uh, that we felt when they came in and chose our restaurant to dine in. So speaking of like, uh, like, like just in general, like, you know, this whole podcast is supposed to hope that, you know, kid, some kid out there is hopefully listening to this and is like inspired or, or is, you know, like confident. Cause like, you know, maybe they had cooking aspirations and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not like interested in do, wanting to pursue this. What tips would you give? Like, you know, what, what do you think is the most important like personality um... trait? they need the most, you know, like what to expect for challenges they're going to have to face, you know, just like, just like, you know, the lessons that they're going to, you know, just no, what, what, I would think, you, what, would you, what advice would you give them basically is, you know? Yeah. I think with any profession, it's pretty much all similar in that you have to pick something that you're passionate about. You have to pick uh, a field where um, you don't mind putting in the extra hours and, um, you know, you don't just do the homework given to you, but um, Oop, hello, hello, sorry, yeah, I think we're starting to cut out, but that's okay. Um, 
Yeah, my uh, earphones went out. But uh, let me, uh, we can edit that and I'll sort of explain right now. Yeah, just now, start, like start from the stop. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, so I think um, cooking is just like any other profession where uh, there has to be that passion. There has to be that focus. Uh, there has to be that drive that makes you want to learn more, that wants to, that you want to work the extra hours to, to gain more knowledge and experience. Um, if, if you don't have that feeling, if you don't have that passion, then definitely cooking is not you know, you're not going to succeed. But most professions, if you don't have that drive, uh, you should you should find a field that you do have that interest. Um, yeah, that's a very common thing that many people actually say in this podcast. Interesting. Yeah, I think at a certain age, you realize that. <laughs> I didn't when I was young. Um, Everyone but, says, like, if you have the passion, you'll, you'll honestly be able to figure it out yourself if you want it that badly. Yeah, and, and you know, mo- most kids at 18, they don't have that passion except for maybe video games and, you know, watching <laughs> watching football on TV, you know. Um, and some people don't get it, like me, until 30. Um, and you know what? And that's I okay. feel like I'm, a, I'm lucky because I have friends who still don't have any passion. <laughs> you know, they, they may be rich and successful because they went into finance, but they realize... You know they're smart and brilliant, but they weren't doing it because they were passionate. They were just doing it because they didn't have anything else that they wanted to do. Uh, so to find that passion, I think, is the homework of life. Um, even after school, beyond school, while you're in school, you you really need to find something that you are passionate about. And when you do, um, and no rush is what you're telling. Audience. No rush, no rush, but always keep your eyes and ears open. Open uh, mind, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when you find that uh, profession, when you find that field that you're passionate about, consider yourself lucky, and and, and dive into it um, with all the energy and time you have. Really uh, work hard to make sure that you don't waste this opportunity. Whenever that may be, whether you're in high school, college, twenties, thirties, whenever, if it comes, it's an opportunity. You 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 go all in. Well, that is great advice. I think you know, cooking is. I mean, that's probably one of my. I don't know. I just I think just eating food together is just such <laughs> a fun thing. You know, it's just like it okay. So everyone... let me give you one piece of advice for aspiring chefs, people who want to be chefs. The most important thing that I learned was not learning how to cook when I was young, but it was enjoying all these different foods, whether it be cheap, expensive, ethnic, local uh, food that your friend's parents were cooking for you. Just eat everything and appreciate all the flavors that that you will experience because those flavors you may have forgotten everything that you've eaten for a long time dylan but later on when you become a chef everything will come back to you so um if anybody wants to be a chef out there eat eat (laughs) eat a lot anyways thank you so much for being on the podcast and just before you go is there 
Is there anywhere that people can find you? You know, like anywhere you want to just tell um, them? Yeah, you know, uh, most of my information right now uh, is is on is shared on Instagram, Huni Kim, H uh, O O N I K I M. Um, otherwise, you know, hunikim.com has all of my restaurants and information. Uh, so, but any questions? I answer all the questions on Instagram uh, messages. So they can message so you. you can reach me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Huni. Thank you so much for having me, Dylan. Thank you, and good luck. Thanks.